So we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And this question on the screen is a question we often ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And it's a question I know gets asked often in church world. And as we pick up in this passage, for those of you who weren't here last week, Jesus and his disciples were transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration. And they saw Moses and Elijah Jesus and Jesus shone like diamonds when the sun hits the diamonds. That's how shiny and bright and light filled Jesus was. So we're going to find in this passage where they have to come off the mountaintop and they encounter things that aren't as pretty, aren't as excited as a mountaintop experience. So the passage we're looking at is going to ask the question, how is God going to bring good things out of a world that's filled with trouble. And I know even in this church, many of you have dealt with sickness, have dealt with discouragement, have dealt with uh, attacks in your life. And you ever wonder how good can happen in a bad world, how God can bring good even out of tough situations? So we're going to be asking that question. And um, today, it's especially relevant when we turn on the news and we see almost every week it seems like there's another shooting. You guys notice that? Shooting at a mall, shooting at a school. And it seems like this question keeps arising. How is good going to come out of this world? So today in Luke's passage, we're going to start in verse 37. We're going to be addressing this question in your life and in my life. So today's message title is Jesus' power over demons, death, and discouragement. And I think all of us are going to relate to one of those three. Some of you are struggling with attack in your life, and you feel like Satan is really attacking you and tempting you and discouraging you. And some of you are dealing with death. You know, there's loved ones, there's people in your life or have died, have passed, or they're on death's door. And then others of us are just simply discouraged. So I think of the three, you're probably dealing with at least one. So let's let's look into the scripture what God has to say, starting in verse 37. Now it came to pass on the next day. You may want to write, underline this in your Bible. If you've got a pew Bible, you can underline it too. But what happens on the next day? They, they come down on the next day. And when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look at my son. For he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And suddenly he cries out. And it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So before we read the next verse, a little, little has to be said about this. Demon possession is real, but it's rare. So we don't know how this, perhaps he's a teenager, we don't know the age, the the Greek doesn't reveal the age, but perhaps this teenage boy has been hanging out with the wrong crowd, perhaps he's involved in the cult. We don't know how they got demon-possessed, but a spirit is causing this young boy to do things that are bizarre. So by the way, for those of you who have teenagers, it doesn't mean he's possessed or she's possessed if they act crazy. But this one was, verse 41. So Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. 
Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And all were amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at these things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him anything about this saying. Let's pray God's blessing on his word. Father, this is a bizarre passage, we have to admit, for especially the modern American mind, how a teenager could be demon-possessed and how, you know, this, this is going on. We don't quite understand it, but Lord, help us know that your word is true. So Lord, give us insights in how and understanding how that you have power over demons, over death, and over discouragement. We pray blessings on your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to give you five transformative truths that can light even up the darkest world. And these are truths from the text. And as I said, we're all probably dealing with one. Some of you feel like Satan's got your number. He's been attacking you. The good news for the Christian is you can be oppressed, but you can never be possessed. So that's good news. But it doesn't mean the devil's not going to attack you. Some of you are dealing with sickness and disease, and you're like, why? And I know in this church we've had multiple surgeries, multiple sicknesses, and we're like, why would good people suffer? So that's a question some people are asking. And then what about discouragement? I've often said if Satan can't cause you to sin, he's going to distract and discourage you. So we find all this in the text. So the first truth is this. Mountaintop experiences don't last forever. You ever notice that when you're on a really high high, you just want to stay there forever? And this is how Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you were here last week, Peter said, Jesus, it's so good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And what did the voice of the Heavenly Father say? This is my son, hear him. So we we pick up in verses 37 and 38. It happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain. Isn't it intriguing that when you're on a mountaintop high, there's the next day? And usually, mountaintop experiences don't last that long. Have you noticed that? They're, they're there, and then you're in the valley. Then you're there, then you're in the valley. I can remember my early 20s, I was an intern pastor at a church that was growing, and God was just blessing, and um, it was just kind of the, the backstory. The church had grown from like a 180 to over 3,000, and it just it was exploding with growth. And the pastor, he was a dynamic speaker, he could preach the paint off the walls, as they say. People loved to listen. The music was just like, it felt like you're in heaven's choir. And I remember as I was probably about 22 at the time, I said, God, I want to I be at this church forever. I mean, help me never to leave. This is like Peter's experience. Let's build our tabernacle. And it was within a year or so, the Lord sent me to Texas to, to go to seminary. And I'm like, but God, I want to be on the mountaintop. And God's like, nope, I've got other plans. You've got to follow me. Remember, Timothy, you're my servant. You go where I tell you, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm leaving the mountaintop. So I went to a church in Texas, and uh, I started working with single adults. And I know we got some singles at both services. And what, what's fun about singles is uh, I had to, you know, deal with the men and be like, okay, I, I know you, you've had some bad relationships. Let's talk about how to treat a woman, you know, those, those things. And, you know, met with some women that they had been through some divorces and be like, listen, not every guy's a jerk. <laughs> Let's talk through this. It was like, I want to go back to the mountaintop. This is, but it was a good ministry. It was fun. And, but you ever notice in your life 
that the mountaintops don't last forever. You, you go into the valley. And this is on your listening guide, but here's some life coaching tips for us all to recognize. The first one is this. When life is good, make sure you fill up. The way God has designed life is when the highs are high, that's the time for you to, to fill up your emotional tank, your spiritual tank, finances, everything. When you're on the high, be sure it's a recharging time. Some of you, I joke with type A's a lot because I am kind of one in some ways. But type A's are so driven that when you're on a high, you're so tired that when you get on the valley low, you've, you're already burned out and crashed and burned before you hit the bottom. Some of you are poking the person next to you because you know it's true. So when you're on a high, allow this to recharge you. Because guess what? The valley low will come. And if you don't recharge the mountaintop, how are you going to survive the valley? Another perspective to think about, when life is bad, make sure you don't run dry. You know, Jesus said that he was the fountain of living water, and you could always drink from him. So what do you do about the dark night of the soul, as, as many Bible thinkers have said? There's a dark night of the soul. What do you do that keeps you from running dry? Well, you have to trust in God's word. You have to know that the Christian journey is not based upon feelings. If it was, we'd be in trouble every other day or some of us every other moment, right? Feelings are all over the place. We just have to trust in God. Another aspect to look at is expect the best but prepare for what? The worst. So we've got to have a positive attitude about life, but we've got to be prepared for the worst. We've got to be ready because life will come. Some of you will get that doctor's report and you're like, it was just a regular checkup, and the doctor used the C word, and you can't believe it. Um, or you get sick out of nowhere. Or it's tax season, and all of a sudden you get the bill from the IRS that you owe all these taxes, and you're like, really? So life, life's going to throw you a lot of curves. But just remember, don't get too high on the highs, and don't get too low on the lows. And don't do life alone, because you'll need others to help. Just as your pastor, I want to give you this shepherding advice. Whenever you're going through a tough time, your first reaction will be to isolate, to stay private about it. Listen, you may be a private person, but the way God has wired you is you need people, at least two or three, to come into your inner circle to provide encouragement. Because guess what? You need people to lift you up when you're low. Ecclesiastes says it like this. I believe it's 4, 9 through 12. It says two are better than one. Because if one falls down, you can help the other person get up. But woe to the person who falls down and has no one to pick him up. That's a paraphrase of that. So in other words, you are made for community. So Peter, James, and John come down. And all of a sudden, they're like, this guy is struggling. And this man's child is demon-possessed. And they realize you can't live on the mountain forever. You have to deal with the reality. And everyone said, ouch. Number two, the second truth. And by the way, this is heavy, but it gets encouraging towards the end. So hang in there. There's always good news in the word. Number two, the devil's at work in our world. The devil's at work in our world. You know, talking about demonic activity, I've told you some of my stories. I'll share one of my friend's stories. Tim Skinner, he spoke here uh, one Wednesday night. Some of you heard of him. But he's a church planner, and he, he's in his 40s. But he was saying that when he started the church in Asheville, he was at a coffee shop, and he was meeting with one of the chairman of the board for his church to get it going. And out of nowhere, some sinister individual walks off the streets and starts pacing around where they're meeting at. And he's like, what's going on? I mean, we're, we're having a private meeting in a coffee shop in the corner. And this guy starts casting spells on, upon Pastor Tim. And he's like, 
the guy didn't even know what we were talking about. He just came off the street, started casting spells. And the other pastors, they're praying against that. And it was just this back and forth spiritual battle. And you're like, does that happen? Have you been downtown Asheville lately? <laughs> just walk around. Um, but this battle occurs. And so what do, you, what, what do you make of this? That this? We don't know how this boy is. I'm guessing he's probably a teenager. How in the world is he demon-possessed? I mean, we don't really know. Someone doesn't just wake up and get demon-possessed. Normally, it's a slippery slope where you're, you're dabbling into witchcraft or black magic or quote-unquote white magic. Or, you know, he had opened himself up somehow. And, you know, many, many of you were a teenager. You remember getting off into left field with, with the crowd. Somehow he may have gotten to the wrong crowd. We're not told. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. When, when the disciples got off the mountain, they found... Jesus' other disciples, how many went on the mountain? Anybody remember? Three, so there were nine that didn't go. So when he came down, he found doubting disciples. And we're going to find out they were doubting. They didn't, they didn't believe that they could cast this demon out. They struggled. They didn't know why the demon wouldn't come out. So we found doubting disciples. This is in Mark 9, a parallel passage. We found disputing scribes. So you imagine Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they come down. The other nine disciples are doubting. The scribes are disputing them, arguing about what's going on, why, what's going on with this teenager. And then we see a desperate father. I don't know about you, but if this was my teenage son, I would do whatever it took to get him healed. So he comes to the spiritual leaders, nine of the other apostles, and they can't help him. Have you ever been there? You, you come to church and you're like, I came with a need and I, 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 I left worse than when I came. This is where the father's at. He's like, I came to Jesus' disciples. And by the way, if you have your Bibles, look at Luke 9, 1. He gave them power to cast out demons. So why are they not casting out demons? So you have doubting disciples, disputing scribes, a desperate father. But then you have a devoted Jesus. Notice that Jesus is there. He enters into their madness. And he's like, I'm here for you. We see the devil at work in this passage. Look at verse 39. It says, a spirit seizes him. Talking about the young boy. Suddenly he cries out. It convulses him. He foams at the mouth. It departs from him with great difficulty. So he's seeing that, that Satan is trying to capture the child. He's trying to control the child. Trying to harm the child. And you're like, why would Satan do this to a teenager? Well, we don't know how the devil got in. But obviously this guy's not a follower of Christ at the time. But Satan's modus operandi is this, John 10.10. 10. You guys know it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So right now, this father is seeing what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to steal his only son. By the way, Luke's the only one who mentions this is his only son. You see this in other times in Luke. Jairus' only child. This man's only son. So he's trying to steal. And a lot of times, as Satan will try to steal something from you. So realize that you have to learn how to rebuke the devil. You have to say, get behind me, Satan. We see it in Matthew 4, the temptation. Every time Satan came after Jesus, what did he do? He quoted the scripture. He rebuked the devil. So remember that. Not only is Satan trying to steal, but he's trying to kill. Satan's goal, when every time you see a murder, and it's funny, no matter what news network you watch, you're like, we don't know what caused this. We don't know, you know what's the motive. Listen, the motive behind everything is Satan's trying to kill people. 
I can solve the, the investigation. It was Satan behind it all, regardless of the secondary motive. The, the main motive is Satan's trying to kill people. He's trying to erase the image of God in our world. So that's what he's trying to do with this, with this child, this young teenager. We don't know his age. But can I remind you through the whole weave of Scripture, the whole narrative? In the Old Testament, when Satan was trying to kill the Hebrew boys, who did God raise up? Moses. Teresa's already heard this message. So you get a double dose. Thank you. I got my amen corner in here. I like it. So Moses. And Moses, Satan was trying to take him out, but Moses became a deliverer. He led approximately two to three plus million people out of slavery. Fast forward into the New Testament. They're trying to kill all the boys two years old and under in order to kill who? Jesus. And who does, what does God raise Jesus up to be? The savior of the world, right? Fast forward to American culture. Who's trying to kill the kids again? We see it in American culture. They're trying to kill the unborn. And who is God going to raise up? I believe the second coming of Christ. It could happen any moment. He's going to come back and deliver. You see that through the weave of scripture. You try to kill the kids. God always raises up a deliverer. Amen. So Satan is also trying to not just still kill, but he's trying to destroy. He's trying to break apart the fabric of society, which is the family. He's trying to distort the image of what family is, where people are confused of a husband and a wife marriage. He's trying to distort the image of family. He's trying to, any way Satan can get in the seams, he's trying to confuse. But let it be said that God made the family perfect in his way. We're fallen, don't get me wrong, but the way he designed his model is the right way. And let us not get confused as a church. Whatever God says, it still stands. Amen? So... Here's the question we've got to ask before we go into the next verse. Is why couldn't the disciples cast this demon out? They've done it before. In Luke 9, 1, Jesus gives them power and authority over all unclean spirits. So why in this particular passage are the, the, the disciples powerless? Well, Jesus gives us two main reasons. The first reason is they didn't have the faith. They were trying to do it without the appropriate faith. And you're like, that's kind of weird. I would agree with that. But also, we see in Mark 9, the parallel gospel, he said this doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. So think about it like this. They were trying to do ministry without faith and without prayer. <laughs> that sounds like a, a failure waiting to happen, right? How many times as a church do we try to do things of God without prayer and without faith? Hebrews eleven six without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's almost like, one pastor said it like this, it's almost like the disciples were trying to use the name of Jesus as just like a magical, in the name of Jesus. But if there's no relationship attached, it's all about the relationship. You can't just use Jesus' name as a magical formula. In the name of Jesus, come out. Well, listen, you remember what happened in the book of Acts? Someone tried that, wasn't a follower. Remember the demons attacked those, those sons who were trying to do that. So another thing I didn't think of, but as I was researching this, it appeared that perhaps the other nine disciples that were left behind, you know, Peter, James, and John on the mountain, the other nine, they could have been jealous. And we'll see this next week. Who's the greatest? So they were left behind. So maybe the jealousy creeped in. And maybe that zapped their faith. And maybe they got in the flesh instead of the spirit. Have you ever tried to do God's work in the flesh before? How well did that go? Not very well. So before we move on, I just want you to get this, that they were trying to do the work of God apart from the power of God. They had the power, but it was quenched by their lack of faith and their lack of prayer. 
May it always be said of us that we are faithful and prayerful people. Amen. All right. How many of you are ready to get some encouragement now? You're like, man, he's been talking about demons and lack of faith. I, I just wish I would have stayed at church, stayed at home and, you know, sat back because this, this is discouraging. But I got good news for you. We're not stopping there. Number three, Jesus is more powerful than demons and sickness. Somebody say amen. All right. Verse 42. Like I said, it gets it gets more encouraging. <laughs> And as he was still coming, the demon threw the child down and convulsed him. Then Jesus, notice what he did. He rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the child and he gave him back to his father. So something I want you guys to get, and this really ministered to my heart, is right before the breakthrough was the major breakdown. You notice Jesus is getting ready to heal and all of a sudden the devil's throwing out all the stops. The child's thrown down. Is he going to die? What's going to happen? And right before Jesus heals the child, Satan loses control. And you know, if you look at your life back in the rearview mirror, right before you had the major breakthrough, you often had the breakdown. You ever notice that? So if you're in, if you're in the middle of a breakdown, if you're in the middle of a mess, if you're in the middle of madness, understand that you may be just one moment from your miracle. The breakdown often occurs before the breakthrough. So the this, this spirit throws the child on the ground. And notice what Jesus did. And this is going to be what's going to happen to you. And the caveat, it's God's timing. I wish it was like the televangelist on TV said, you name it, claim it, will it, deal it, he'll heal it. Right? I wish it was that easy. But it's God's timing. And I, I need to remind you guys, as I did the first service, that if you are a Christian, it's all going to be good in the very end. And you're like, well, what about if I die? Listen, if you die, you're better off than you are now. <laughs> it's the truth. Because if you live to be 110 and you compare that to an infinite eternity in the presence of God in the glorified body, this 110 years on life is like one single page in a book that lasts forever, meaning your life. That's good news. That's good. If you came to church just for that, that should bless you. So let's look at God's perfect timing in the scripture. Jesus rebuked the devil. In God's timing, he will eventually rebuke the devil. We're still on point three. He rebuked the devil. Jesus will bring healing to your hurt. Notice, he rebuked the devil. He healed the child. And Jesus will restore that which the enemy tried to take away. Let me repeat that again. Jesus rebuked the devil. He brought healing. And he restored. So here's the good news if you're a Christian. If you're not a believer, you'll have a chance to become one. But for believers... Jesus will rebuke the devil, he will heal your hurt, and he will restore you. That will make even a first Baptist want to run the aisle and say amen. So Robert Moffat, we've got a picture of him. The good news about Robert Moffat is God can use even us men with beards, which I, I can't grow a beard. I've tried. My kids have asked me, why can't you grow? I just, I don't, I'm not very hairy. Sorry, guys. What is it, No Shave November? Any, any of you guys participate in that? Anybody? I don't participate because I can't grow any facial hair. But anyways, back to the story. Robert Moffat, he was one of the first missionaries sent to Africa. And his whole goal was to learn the native language so he could translate God's word into the native tongue. So he heard that this guy named Jagger Afrikaner, Jagger Afrikaner, sounds like a rock star, right? Jagger Afrikaner. He was terrorizing this area in the Dutch colony in South Africa. And he had killed so many people and the government had put a $100,000 bounty, equivalent to today's money, $100,000 bounty. If you get Jagger Afrikaner, you're going to give you hundred grand. 
So they were all looking to find him. And Robert Moffat said, I'm going to go find him and I'm going to share Christ with him. And his advisory team said, you've got to be crazy. We sent you on a mission not to die, not a death mission. If you go after Jagger, Africaner, you're going to die. So guess what? He went anyways. Don't fear the beard, right? He, he went anyways, went in. And he was gone for several months. And people thought that Robert Moffat had perished. But instead, he was leading Jagger Africaner to Christ. And his life so radically changed that he encouraged uh, Jagger Africaner to go back with him and share the gospel. And uh, so he did. And he was staying at a certain farmer's house. And when the farmer found out that Africaner was there, he's like, you've got to be kidding me. This guy's a blood-cold murderer. But he saw how his life had changed. And I want to read to you what he said. He said, what a miracle, O God, of your power. What can your grace not do? In other words, if God can save this radical terrorist that's killing people, God can save anybody. Amen. So, one caveat before we go on to the next point. One pastor said it like this, and you guys will remember this. God's timing. And I want you to write this down. If the request is wrong, God says what? No. If the timing is wrong, God says, slow. If you are wrong, God says, grow. But if the request is right, if the timing is right and you're right, God says, go. You guys want to hear that again? I know that was a tongue twister. If the request is wrong, God says, no. If the timing is wrong, God says, slow. If you are wrong, God says, grow. But if the request is right, if the timing is right and you're right, God says, go. So I know there's a lot of hurting hearts in church today. And I've come to bring you good news in a bad news world that in God's timing, he's going to work it all out. Amen. Number four, great trials often follow great victories. So you notice they deliver this boy. It's a great victory. And then verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, you know, let these words sink down into your ears. Because he's already said it before, first time, and they didn't get it. He's saying it again. He says, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So you see this roller top experience. Peter, James, and John on the mountain. They encounter this demon-possessed, probably teenager. Jesus delivers. They're on victory lane again. And then Jesus says, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. And they're just like, <laughs> roller coaster. And something I want to get to you guys is that when you've faced great victory in your life, we talked about mountaintop, I'm talking about victories now, when you've experienced a great victory, there's usually a trial that follows. And I can look back in my life uh, when I surrendered the call to ministry, when I went out and started a church in my 20s and different things, there were always trials after I stepped out and said, okay, God. So if you've had a spiritual victory, just don't be surprised if a trial comes. Because normally the trial is preparing you for what God has called you to do. In this case, if Jesus had not died on the cross and had not risen again, would the disciples have any ministry at all? They wouldn't have nothing to talk about, right? We wouldn't have anything to talk about. So if you're going through a trial right now, understand that the trial is usually a teacher preparing you for what's to follow. And this trial, they're like, Jesus, you know, we want to be back on the mountain. And you're talking about, Dying, this glory has turned into madness. And I, I just don't understand it. 
So when you ask the question that we rose at the beginning, why do bad things happen to good people? I want you to understand, Jesus is the only one that was perfect. As far as good, none of us are good. We understand that, right? God's the only good. But to reframe the question, why do bad things happen to good people, people that are following Christ, from a human perspective, the reason why bad things happen, we live in a fallen world. The reason why bad things happen is Satan is temporarily in charge of this fallen world. For those of us who have rejected him, he's not in charge of us, but for the rest of the people, they're following the sway of the evil one, the Bible says. So when bad things happen, when people get sick, when people die, I want you to know that's not the end of the story. It's just the first page of forever. So if you guys, God forbid, but if I die today, I don't plan on it, but if it happens, if I get hit by a bus, listen, I'm in glory. I'm better than I've ever been before. And the same can be said of you, amen? Number five, and this fifth, fifth point realize, really summarizes the whole message, and I, st- I stole this from um, Max Lucado, but he'll, he'll forgive me. You guys have heard this saying, when you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. Now think about that. Look, look at the next verse, 45. But they did not understand this saying. It was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So, you know, they're asking questions. Why did Jesus have to die? Why isn't God ushering in his kingdom? They didn't understand. Have you ever lacked perception and understanding of why God's doing something in your life? God, why the doctor's report? God, why is this person I love dying? God, why did my spouse die before me? God, why? And we ask these questions. Let me remind you, good news in a bad news world. In God's perfect timing, he will rebuke the devil, he will heal the hurt, and he will restore what the enemy took away. Amen. So I was reading about this farmer, and he was with his son out in the field. And there was this big rock, and they were going to plow for for planting season. And the father said, son, I want you to move the rock. So the boy went out there, and he tried to push the rock, push it. He strained, and the rock wouldn't turn over. And he's like, Dad, I can't do it. And he said, did you use all of your strength? He said, yes, I use all of my strength. And the father said, no, you didn't. I've been standing right here at your disposal, and all you had to do is ask me. You didn't use all of your strength. You know the scripture where it says, I can do all things through Christ? So if you're going through sickness, you can't do it alone, but through Christ, you can get through the valley. If you're going through discouragement, you can't do it alone, but you can through Christ. If Satan's attacking you, demonic oppression, not possession for the Christian, but oppression, you can't stand against his strategies alone. You have to put on the armor of God. This is a true story. This comes out of another story from South Africa. It's in Carltonville, South Africa. And we have a picture here. Um, There was this body in the mortuary. And all of a sudden, this body started moving. It had been there for several hours. What had happened hours before is there was a major car wreck and two people were pronounced dead on the scene. And the third person, a woman, was thought to be dead. They had done everything to resuscitate, but after a few hours of battling for her life, there was no signs of life. So as the workers were walking through this mortuary, they saw this lady still alive in the fridge. True story. And they're like, what happened? So they did this investigative report. They talked to ABC News about it. And they're like, what's going on? I want to read you what one of the guys said. We did all the checks, breathing, pulse, everything. 
And he said, we made certain our job is to save lives. So we're not in the business of declaring living people dead. So obviously they made a mistake. Everyone thought she was dead, but she was alive. I'm wondering how many people here Arden first would look at your life and would say, yeah, that dream died. Yeah, that didn't turn out the way I anticipated. I look back on my life instead of with excitement. I was like, man, I wish I would have done that. I've come to declare to you on behalf of God's word with hope that God has the final word. What you say is dead may only be resting. What you say is dead may not be. God is the one who brings resurrection power alive. He speaks the dead dreams and they come back to life. He speaks the sick bodies and they're healed again. He changes the world with his powerful word. So the sermon in a sentence is really simple. Point five, you guys say it with me. When you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. I'll say it again. When you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know someone who does. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the God who enters into your pain with a broken heart. He he feels your pain. He feels your sickness. And if, if I can remind you, if you forget everything, you just look back at the cross. If you think God doesn't feel your suffering, if you think God doesn't feel your pain, your sickness, look no further than the cross. Jesus died in our place so that one day he could take us to his place. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we serve a God who feels our hurts, who enters into our pain who understands what we're going through. And God, in this sacred moment, I I feel some pain of people whose spouses are sick, whose family members are struggling with depression, anxiety. God, I I feel the pain of those who have been through surgery. And Jesus, we thank you in the sacred moment that you tell us and you whisper into our inner spirit that I'm with you. I will be with you till the end of the age. And I know life seems hard, but understand that Jesus is with you. He's for you. This ain't the end chapter. This is just the first page of forever. So, Father, right now I pray for sicknesses to be healed. God, I rebuke cancer in our congregation. I rebuke discouragement. God, I know we're subject to your timing, but in the end we know that you will rebuke the devil. You will restore and you will heal. We thank you for that. While the believers are still praying, if there's one here that you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, right where you're sitting, let your seat be your sanctuary. I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and you defeated death, hell and the grave when you rose on the third day. And Jesus, I've never given my life to you. And right now, where I'm sitting, I want to declare my faith. I believe Jesus is God. And I also confess that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And I turn from my sin. So Jesus, would you step out of heaven and into my life? Would you make me a new person from the inside out? I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. Restore what the enemy took away. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. You guys will stand. We're not going to tarry long, but I'll be at the front. I'm going to ask Teresa if you'll come up front and help me. Uh, we're, going to, we're just going to have some prayer partners at the front. 
And if you guys have a need, whatever it may be, it may be for you, it may be for someone in your family that's sick, it may be for someone that's discouraged, or it may be someone that's under attack. I'll be at the front, Miss Teresa will be at the front, and we're going to pray for you. So come as the Spirit leads.